Well, hello and welcome again to the uh, Ireland Football Fans Podcast. Uh, I'm joined again by Mark Kennedy from Hawkeye Psychic and by uh, Phil Flanagan from the Bottomless Pit of Football. And uh, we're going to be discussing Giovanni Trapattoni's reign in charge of the uh, Ireland national team. Um, at the end of Steve Staunton's time in charge, the team has, has really lost its fan base in Ireland, which was massively disappointing. The results had gotten steadily worse. Tactics had gone out the window by all by uh, by all accounts, and the the fan base needed something to 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 bring them back. Um, the three man panel was appointed to search for the successor. It was uh, former internationals Don Gibbons and Ray Houghton. And Don Howe was brought in to assist. Uh, so, Mark, after Staunton um, agreed to leave um, after the, the result against Cyprus in the qualifier, nobody really had any hope of, of how things were going to go. I mean, do you remember what people were looking for in a new manager? I suppose, Joe, um, the exact opposite <laughs> of poor Steve Staunton, which, I mean, plenty plenty of international footballing experience. Um, yeah, I mean, poor old uh, Steve uh, Staunton, I suppose he, he was kicking, uh, screaming and kicking, getting out the door, I think, more so than an amicable departure with the FEI anyway. But going back to Trapattoni and the, the selection committee was probably pretty fascinating, I thought, just with the likes of Don Howe, uh, there in the mix, you know, very internationally renowned coach, and to come up with that kind of list of candidates, I think Eltel again, Terry Venables again was kind of linked strongly with the position again, wasn't he? Yeah. And then we had Giovanni Trapattoni then coming in, um, kind of behind the scenes really, but um, it's started to kind of resonate a bit on the, the his managerial credentials and the vast experience. Uh, both internationally and also his work as a club manager in Italy, Austria, uh, with Red Bull Salzburg. So when I was hearing the likes of Trapattoni being mentioned, uh, I was thinking maybe that this committee may have been coming into a winner here. Yeah, I think uh, like when his name was first mentioned, he was a very, very uh, long odds uh, candidate for the for the job. But uh, as the the selection process uh, proceeded, you know the it seemed to be that he actually he, he actually became the favourite and obviously was eventually appointed. Um, so, Phil, we when we were going from, you know, it felt like we were going from a manager with zero experience to almost unlimited, you know, the unlimited experience. Um, what did you think that a manager like Trapattoni was going to bring to the side? Well, at that stage, I think um, the general consensus was that we were we were rubbish and we were a bit of a bit of a rabble. Um, so to hear a name like his even mentioned, I I really didn't hear it until he actually got the job. But first of all, he's Italian, so much experience throughout the whole game. We kind of realised we were rubbish at that stage, and we needed someone to organise us into a solid unit to try and get the best out of the players we had. Like we still had good players. But we could see we didn't have brilliant players coming through. So it was our best. Putting a manager like him in charge was our best chance, probably, of maximising the the output of the team. So like I remember I was ecstatic at the time. I thought it was brilliant because I, you'd been used to, before Staunton got the job, we uh, Delaney and his panel, we were getting a world-class manager and we got Staunton and 
there was no real talk about getting a world-class manager this time. It was more the usual, as uh, you said, Terry Venables, you know, Alan Kerbishley, the usual names that were always mentioned. But then to actually come and spend some money and get someone in with huge pedigree, because I'm sure, I don't know who he was linked with at the time after the uh, after his time in Austria, but I'm sure other people were trying to get him as well. I thought it was brilliant. Yeah, I did as well. I mean, if nothing else, the team would be uh, far more organised defensively. You know, uh, we didn't think we were going to be conceding five goals against a team like, uh, like Cyprus. Again, no, no disrespect uh, intended uh, towards the, the Cypriot national side. But like, it was results like that, I think, that had started the, the rot among um, among our, the disinterest, maybe a better word, than among, uh, among Ireland fans. So the announcement was actually made in uh, February 2008, but... Uh, Trapattoni was still with uh, with Red Bull Salzburg in Austria and his contract wouldn't finish until the end of the season the following May. I don't think anybody was too uh, put out by it. We had no uh, tournament to look forward to in the summer. So I didn't actually name his first squad until he named a uh, uh, training squad uh, for in Portugal. Um, just looking at some of the names there, there's actually a few interesting names. Um, there's... Uh, Stephen Kelly had been brought back. Owen Garvin was uh, was named. Wes Hoolan, uh, Darren Potter, Andy Kyo, um, and uh, well, Alex Bruce, who would later go on to decide to play for Northern Ireland instead. Um, so the the first game under Trapattoni was uh, friendly against Serbia. Uh, we actually we went one 0 down, but I felt like the organisation that had been missing. Um, obviously under the, the previous manager, uh, was there. And we did keep going and eventually got a, a very, very late equaliser from Andy Kyo. Um, and there was a feeling of relief maybe afterwards that, okay, there was there, there may be something here, that the, the, we didn't expect things to turn around dramatically after just one game. But there was, a, there was an organisation to decide that we hadn't seen before, um, certainly under the, the previous management. Uh, Mark, what did you think after that first game? Yeah, no, it was a solid outing, uh, Joe. Um, particularly with the opposition as well, Serbia, quality outfit. Um, but again, it probably shows um, Trapattoni, even in his playing career, you know, he played as a central defender, defensive midfielder, and I think he very much focused as defensive first policy, uh, even on this game, where he made sure that the, the back four were well and truly protected throughout that game. Granted, we did kind of see that goal kind of late on, but credit to the, the boys, they literally stuck in there and Andy Kyo pip, uh, pip popped up there for the, the late equaliser. But again, signs were encouraging. There was a bit of organisation there. At least you could see a bit of leadership throughout the side. Um, so again, it was a solid outing. Yeah, uh, Phil, um, one of the things that Trapattoni would later mention that he noticed about after reviewing Ireland games was that the, the space between defence and midfield was often quite open. Um, so he, he in that first game, he employed two defensive midfielders in Liam, Whelan, sorry, Liam Miller and Glenn Whelan. Um, and this kind of would go on to be a, a, a hallmark of a Trapattoni side. Two defensive midfielders in front of two uh, in front of the two centre halves, you know, blocking sh- blocking shots or blocking chances for the opposition uh, on the Ireland goal. Uh, did you think that? Did you think that he was making the right decision? That instead of making us instead of making us a better attacking side, he just made us harder to beat. 
Well, I think it was at the time because I think the trend would in well certainly in club football was you had the likes of Mourinho and Benitez who were at the top of their game and and a solid defensive unit was basically what these teams were built on with then a couple of players up front. So I don't think it was anything out of the ordinary at the time. And I think we kind of come to expect something like that from an Italian manager. Um, it was something we saw nearly every game. I think he was robbed of Stephen Reid really early on uh, through injury. But yeah, I, it made the team solid and it made us hard to break down and hard to beat. And after coming off the back of conceding so many goals under the Staunton era, and we hadn't really seen our t- the, the team concede that many goals for a long time. It was, uh, it, no, I don't want to say a breath of fresh air. It wasn't a breath of fresh air, but it was welcomed that we were becoming solid. Yeah. The, so this friendly against uh, Serbia was followed up by uh, uh, another friendly only a few days later in London against Colombia. And uh, Robbie Keane scored very early in the game and... I think we had Dean Kiley really to to thank uh, for coming away from Craven Cottage with a win, but again, you know, I think the the organisation started to was starting to show, um, and it's starting to to show. And again, you know, this these friendlies are always about uh, you know building momentum uh, with a view to the to the upcoming qualifiers. So uh, after the after the the summer and after obviously not playing in uh, Euro 2008, uh, we had a, a friendly, an away friendly with Norway. Uh, and again, uh, Robbie Keane scored at the end of the first half, uh, but the game would go on to finish one all. And it, it did seem even this early that uh, Robbie Keane was being, uh, was the focal point of the side. That, you know, he's clearly our best striker. He's possibly the best player in the team. So we're going to do everything we can to get uh, to get the ball to him, to make chances for him, and he will score because Robbie Keane scores international goals. Um, this this all uh, led to the the first qualifier uh, for the the World Cup in 2010, and possibly the first stroke of luck. Well, I don't know if you call it real luck that uh, the qualifier away to Georgia wasn't to be played in Georgia due to the ongoing conflict and was actually played in Mainz in Germany. Um, we went to, we had always beaten Georgia, but they always, especially the away games, we never, it never really felt like we were blowing them away. We were just kind of grinding out one nil, two one wins. And, you know, we were two nil up uh, in this game until right at the very end when a, a late goal uh, still meant a 2-1 win for the Republic. So this was the first win in the qualifier. And Mark, I don't think anyone expected us to to qualify, but we were looking for an improved performance on the last set of qualifiers. Um, how did you, did you think that we were actually going to manage it? Against Georgia, was it? Well, did you think this qualification was a realistic prospect for this team under a new manager? At the time, I was confident, just literally by the basis of the Serbian and the summer results, really. Uh, and again, that Georgian result was huge, um, given uh, given results that went then after it. But yeah, I was confident enough, Joe. Um, you know, the Georgian result, Georgia was always a banana skin fixture for Ireland, always has been, always will be. Um, so yeah, I was kind of relatively confident going in, particularly against Montenegro. Now, again, Montenegro were that 
infamous sixth seed that kind of dark horse um, kind of team that popped up in our group. But we kind of knew anyway with Trapattoni, he's defensive qualities. So we looked as if we weren't going to concede many. So, you know, we nick a goal in the set piece or something like that. I think I would have been very confident. Yeah. So, um, and again, you know, an, an away game against Mont- against a team like Montenegro would have been always seen as a potential banana skin, a game that we might struggle to get a result in. Um, but we it did finish nil nil. But it meant in our opening two qualifiers, both away from home, we had four points. Uh, and you know the next game, uh, the next two qualifiers were, were both at home, where we felt we could possibly uh, get uh, at least one win, if not two, uh, in Crow Park. So Phil, the the first qualifier, uh, the first home qualifier of the that series that tournament um, was against Cyprus. Robbie Keane scored very early in the game after only five minutes. Um, but it never felt like we were hanging on. It looked like we were comfortable with that one nil. Yeah, I, I'll never forget it. It was my first time ever in Crow Park, actually. Uh, being from Mayo, that's saying something. <laughs> um, but yeah, uh, yeah, I think after the first few games, we could see that we weren't going to get beat easily. Yeah. And I still think at the time, it's I know it's a long time ago, but I still was under the impression at the time that we still spoke about Georgia, the likes of Georgia, as like a bunch, a bun, not a, bun, a bunch of truck drivers, but they were still, they weren't, they were nearly full-time, but they were still rubbish. Like, I remember in that game, like, it was Nick Glenn Whelan that hit some 30-yarder and the keeper just threw it in. Um, so they still weren't great. And Cyprus, we were never going to lose them because we owed them one. And especially our first home game, new manager, um and Robbie Keane doing the business, as you said. So uh, I, I thought, just going back to your other question, I thought we were we had a great chance of finishing second in that group as well, from the outset. Okay, so that first home uh, qualifier was followed up with a uh, another friendly against uh, against Poland. But at this time, the team had a bit of experimentation in it. We saw Caleb Folan start. We saw Keith Andrews uh, make his debut. Uh, Stephen Hunt uh, came off the bench and scored. So we lost the game 3-2 and we're 2-0 down uh, just after half time. But I think, you know, that uh, coming back, you know, scoring two late goals, showing a bit of fight. Um, and I think uh, making use of, of a friendly uh, for some experimentation meant that people weren't too disappointed by the result. Mark, did you think there's no... You know, this was six months into the to the reign of the new manager, um, and things were things were looking good in terms of uh, qualification, and maybe there was some new players to look forward to seeing in the national side. Six months in, uh, you know, quite the results of the qualification would be good, and we're making you know we're making good use of the friendlies. Um, yeah, well, what were your, what was your impression of the side basically after after six months? Yeah, no, it was positive in anything really after poor old Steve Staunton was a positive in my eyes. Um, so look, uh, in terms of that Poland uh, friendly, the likes of Caleb Folan, as you said, Joe, uh, but as well as that, the emergence of Keith Andrews as well, coming into the international side as well was huge. Just another kind of body in there in central midfield to, uh, who seemed to kind of fit that mould that Giovanni Trapattoni was looking for in terms of a, a kind of a defensive anchor there to solidify the side. So 
again, these friendlies, you couldn't blame Trapattoni for not experimenting with players. But I suppose in the back of his mind, he kind of realised who his go-to guys were already in, in his era uh, of reign. So, again, all positive, you know. Yeah, and unfortunately, we lose Stephen Reid to injury. You know, that, that midfield pivot was built around his athleticism and, you know, the kind of football he was playing at that time with Blackburn Rovers, you know, he's even linked with Manchester United. And he did seem to have formed a, an effective partnership with, with Glenn Whelan um, in centre midfield. And, you know, because we'd seen Keith Andrews uh, perform against Poland, albeit in a friendly, but we knew that he could he could play international football. It meant that, you know, while not a, a like for like, we did have a, an able replacement for him. So the new year began uh, with a 2-1 win uh, against Georgia. I think that was a uh, little notable uh, for the fact that we went, uh, we came from 1-0 down that game. Georgia scored very, very early. Uh, Robbie Keane equalised with a penalty, perhaps a bit fortuitous. Um, it, you know, I don't think the referee was the only person in the the stadium that thought that it was a handball. I've looked at it a couple of times. I still can't decide if it was a handball or if it came off his shoulder. But, you know, it was uh, a come-from-behind win, which we, we don't really do in um, in uh, competitive games. But again, there was a feeling among the, among the fans that, you know, this was a, a sign of the solidity of the team, that, you know, it was a game that perhaps previous management wouldn't have gotten a result from. And, you know, now we had, you know, not just not just recovered from the one, but gone on to actually to win the game. Um, so we were facing into the, the next qualifier uh, in reasonable stead. Um, and it was possibly the, the first real disappointment of the, the series. Um, we all drew at home to Bulgaria after leading from the very first minute. Um, from uh, a Richard Dunn goal. Kevin Caban unfortunately scored uh, an own goal with about 15 minutes to go. And it kind of took the wind out of the sails a little bit. And this was followed up with a possibly, which was probably the hardest game in the whole uh, qualifying series uh, away to Italy. Now the game um, hadn't been announced uh, as being in, held in Barry until a little late but before the, the, the actual fixture itself in April 2009. A lot of the, the rumours were that it was going to be held in Rome, which would be the, the traditional uh, home of Italian football, but moved out to, uh, to, the, to the, stu- the Stadio San Nicola in Bari. And, you know, Italy went 1-0 up very early in the game. After only 10 minutes, Iaquinta uh, scored. But they had a man sent off for for uh, an elbow on John O'Shea. And suddenly you think that we might actually get something out of this. Now, Italy are probably the last team you want to face, you know, with a lead to defend. But we stuck with it. And we did get a late equaliser from Robbie Keane. I know Noel Hunt claims he got the last touch, but I'm I'm pretty sure it was actually Robbie Keane's goal. So, Phil, you know, we're halfway through the qualifiers. We've uh, our hardest game out of the way. We've introduced new players. We're unbeaten. We're scoring, you know, and you know things are looking good for at least second spot in the group. Yeah, I think we were well on the road there, and I think um, you can't uh, play down Robbie Keane's um, 
influence on the whole campaign. I think at that time, he wasn't long after leaving Liverpool and he really produced the goods for us. And I know the team was built around him, but like that, especially that, that goal, that equalising goal against Italy, I think as long as, as Keane stayed fit and we stayed relatively compact at the back, I thought we were, we were full sure for second place. Yeah, so, so Mark, you know, looking into the, the, the last few games in qualifiers, um, did you think that we could top the group or was second the, the most likely? I was thinking more a second more likely, uh, Joe, just uh, considering the fixture list that we had. We had two tricky kind of games, one in Sofia uh, against Bulgaria and then Cyprus away as well. And we didn't have to be reminded the last time we went to Nicosia that would be considered now a banana skin given uh, what happened in the Seed Staunton era. So, and also we had our Italy to kind of come as well. So I was kind of thinking maybe kind of second place in the group because Italy were kind of professionally going about things as well in the group. They were accounting for the likes of Bulgaria, Georgia, uh, Montenegro um, particularly. And so uh, second for me uh, was probably the optimum position there. Yeah. So before that qualifier in uh, in Sofia, we were back to Craven Cottage uh, for a friendly against Nigeria. And again, this was used for some experimentation. We got to see uh, Kevin Foley, Eddie Nolan, um, uh, Stephen, sorry, uh, Liam Lawrence, and and Leon Best all play for the uh, for their national side. Um, you know, it finished one all, but again, the the real the real game was the following week uh, in in Sofia in Bulgaria. Um, and wasn't a great game. I know we went one nil up under again from with a goal from Richard Dunn, but Bulgaria equalised almost immediately afterwards. Um, a one all draw away to a team that you're you're you know you're probably going to be uh, battling sec- for a second spot with. Not a bad result. I don't think we deserved a win in that game, and you know, uh, but we were still unbeaten and we were still scoring, so. You know, hopefully things would would come good in the uh, in the last few games of the qualifiers. So, Phil, um, you know, we'd seen new players um, coming on for the Republic. Uh, obviously, still unbeaten. You know, and it it did look like second spot was what what we had to look forward to. Yeah, very much so. I think it was kind of um, the start. It was kind of the same in O'Neill's reign as well that we had a, a good a good start with our fixtures where the fixtures were quite kind to us. So we could build up a lot of points before we had to get into some of the crunch games um, with the bigger teams. And I think that we picked up so many points at the start, we kind of knew going into it that if we could not lose to the top two seeds in the group, that we'd have a great chance. And that's kind of what happened. Yeah, so the the season or the the new season, the two thousand nine two thousand ten season, started with a, a friendly against Australia in Thomond Park, and unfortunately we lost three 0 We conceded three for the second time under Trapattoni after the the Poland friendly, but we didn't score and we didn't look like scoring. Um, and I know it was it's you know it's the August friendly. I don't think too many international players take them very seriously, but suddenly I think people might, it might've, you know, halted people's expectations. That's, you know, not everything was perfect, but looking at that side, I mean, it still had Shea Given, Richard Dunn, John O'Shea, Johnson Ledger, Aidan McGeady, Kevin Caban, Damien Duff, Glenn Whelan, 
Darren Gibson, Kevin Doyle and Robbie Keane. There's a lot of talent. There's a lot of experience there. And you can see three, you know, obviously you can make the argument that, you know, a game in Tolman Park is almost an away game because it was outside Dublin, but it, it was very disappointing to 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 come away from the, the stadium after the game, just not having played not having played well, they were very. I, I think it was maybe the first time that I had seen the the organization to uh, the point of blindness under Trapattoni. That I, I remember uh, Shea Given uh, having the ball um, and not having anyone to play it to because the two center halves had uh, Tim Kale on top of them, and it, it, playing to either of them would have been a risk. Uh, the two fullbacks had pushed a little forward, but maybe outside of his passing range. And it, you know, you're kind of wondering where was the the kind of spark, the kind of you know, where was something different? Where was Plan B? It you know, was Plan A? Plan A was very obvious, and was Plan B just to try Plan A? Um, so the qualifiers resumed uh, away to Cyprus, and. You know, we were one it up early, and unfortunately, uh, Cyprus equalised before half time. Now it wasn't quite, you know, you know, three two at half time, but I kind of do remember watching the game, thinking, "Where's that? Where's the goal going to come from? Where's the the winner going to come from? If Cyprus score again, are we going to collapse?" And uh, Robbie Keane scored quite late on to win the game, but it meant we were back on track. We had three more points, and you know, we had to. We were facing Italy at home in a month's time. So, Mark, you know, given those those games, you know, was this probably when the the, the negative side of the appointment started? Were probably first obvious? Um, uh, to a certain extent, yeah. Um, but again, take nothing away from that Cyprus performance as well, Joe. Particularly in Nicosia that day, I just remember watching it, and it was such stifling heat there. I think it was well uh, in the twenties um, degrees, even on kickoff. I think it was at six, seven o'clock uh, super time. But take nothing away from the performance there. That was a key, key result uh, to beat Cyprus. But as you say yourself, uh, Joel, the creativity side of things it seemed to start creeping ever so slightly as an issue into our side. Um, but again, I'm going back to Giovanni Trapattoni and his kind of fundamental roots being the central defender, the the anchor midfield in his playing career. Maybe Tardelli, as the assistant manager, was supposed to be the attacking creative force here, but we didn't really see much of it. He was very much defensive first, protect at all costs, keep the clean sheet, and then, you know, hold what you have. And yeah, it was we weren't blowing teams away, let's put it like that way. No, but I think we've... You know, none of us, none of us expected it to do that. But we exactly it, yeah. was, it was the the organisation really was what we had we had hoped for after the the, the previous set of qualifiers. Uh, so Phil, uh, a month later, and Italy are in town, and this is the this is probably the game that was going to decide the group for us. Um, and we won it up very early on with a really phenomenal goal from from Glenn Whelan. Um, Italy equalised, and then very late on we go ahead. Like I remember in this being in the stands straight up from where where Saint Ledger put the ball in in the back of the net from a a free and almost collapsing. I screamed so loud, you know, there was no air in my lungs to breathe. And of course, you know, when you've got a player, but of course, if you when you're facing a player like Perlo, 
you know, he's the kind of player who can find a pass to unlock a defence. And, you know, he did lay an absolutely perfect pass uh, uh, down into the, the the space between the fullback and the centre half um, for Italy to get a late equaliser. But again, we had, you know, we played Italy twice and we've gotten two draws against them and, you know, didn't look out of place uh, on the pitch against them in either game. Uh, but the big result on the night was probably Cyprus beating Bulgaria by four goals to one, which meant that, you know, we didn't have anything to worry about in our last qualifier. Um, how did you feel at the end of the, that series? And we knew now that we were, were guaranteed second spot, which anybody would have taken um, at the, the start of the qualifiers. And, you know, the 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 tactics might have been a bit obvious, but they were working. Um, new players had been introduced. Um, I, I I would call that qualifying series a success. Yeah, absolutely. We were one-dimensional, and it, it was quite obvious to other teams what we were going to do. But it's hard to stop a, a, a team like Ireland from doing what they're doing a lot of the time when they play like that. So we had our, our base, and then we had Robbie Keane up front. So it, it was hard to break us down, and... Robbie Keane was in great form. Um, I think going into the playoffs, or going into even the last game with Montenegro, sorry, like we, I think we really, we, we really left that behind against Italy. Because I remember I was there as well. We had scored. And then we, as far as I can remember, you can correct me if I'm wrong, but we got caught in the break badly for that goal. We were attacking. Yeah. We had so many players up the pitch. And I remember saying to my friend, I said, look, look at all the space on the, the left wing. Look at all the space. Look at all the space. And we really left that behind us, but I still think um, there was a lot of optimism after that game because we hadn't been beaten by any of the bigger sides in the group. No, and we would finish the, the qualifiers unbeaten, um, second in the table. Uh, we'd only scored 12, 12 goals in the 10 games, but we'd only conceded eight, um, and three of them were, were against Italy, who had topped the, topped the group. Um, so if we had been lucky in, in the opening game, that we didn't have to go to Georgia for our uh, for our first qualifier. I think maybe you know Karma came back to us a little bit uh, for the playoffs. Uh, it hadn't been announced until very very late on that the playoffs were going to be seeded. Uh, up until then, everyone thought that it would have been it would be an open draw, um, but it wasn't. Uh, it was decided that it would be. You know, it would be seeded, and it would be seeded according to the the FIFA World Rankings. So, in part one, uh, we had France, Portugal, Russia, and Greece, and then in part two, we had Ukraine, ourselves, Bosnia Herzegovina, and Slovenia, and we drew France. But this wasn't, you know, uh, this wasn't a great French team. They didn't have a, a great qualifying series. Um, they uh, had lost uh, surprisingly, uh, I think to uh, Austria in their opening qualifier. They had dropped points to Romania twice, you know, who finished uh, finished second bottom of the group. And, you know, we had just faced Italy and we had gotten two positive results against them. So maybe it wasn't the worst draw. What did you think, Mark? Yeah, I mean, France, they're such an enigma, aren't they? Um, It was a very underwhelming campaign from, as you said, Joe, but they still had quality players throughout the side. Uh, with Anelka, Willie Gallas, um, I don't want to even mention his name, Terry Henry. Mm. Um, 
But yeah, I mean, it was just unfortunate. It just, God, you know, the, the conspiracy theorists were really out in force, weren't they? With that delay and the draw and how the draw was going to be made. And it did feel the kind of the, the haves and have-nots really were kind of separated in the draw. And it looked as if maybe FIFA World Cup's organisers were looking for the big teams to get in to the big tournament. So again, France were coming in pretty much underwhelmed as well. But again, a formidable opposition. Yeah, so Phil, in, in the first game, um, neither team played particularly well. Um, we just couldn't seem to get to grips with the game. And Anelka scored with about 15 minutes to go. And it, yeah, it, was, it wasn't a great game. I didn't think we deserved to lose. I didn't think France deserved to win. But they had gotten, they had gotten the goal. And they really they probably were the only side that looked like scoring that game. Yeah, just that we didn't get out of the blocks quick enough and we kind of we didn't control enough of the game at home. Um France weren't great. I remember going into the draw thinking as you said they were in a bit of disarray. Dominique was arguing with most of the squad. Um he was a header. I I think we had a good chance, but I think yeah, just at home we just couldn't get to grips with the game um at all. I can't really remember. I know we had a few chances, but I can't remember Anthony really clear cut even. Yeah, and so then the away game in France, in Paris. Um, and, you know, I think there, there was enough feeling among the the Ireland fans that, you know, anything can happen in this game. Um, that, you know, if we score early, you know, the crowd is going to turn on France because that's what happens. And we did. And, like, I was, I was, and I was there. I was in the, the upper tier. I was behind the goal and Robbie Keane scored. I think uh, Kevin Caban's role in the build-up to the goal is actually very understated. Um, he played an absolutely immaculate pass into the, the left-wing channel for, for Damien Duff, um, who crossed the, goal, crossed the ball to an unmarked Robbie Keane because, for some reason, they didn't mark Robbie Keane in the, in the box, and he scored. And suddenly, you know, it's, you know we're 1-0 up um, at halftime. We're 1-0 up at full-time. And maybe, maybe we can do something here. Um, but then, well, Mark, everyone knows what happened after that. Do we need to talk about this? <laughs> I suppose we do. I mean, yeah. Keep um, it brief. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. But in fairness, guys, at least we had a cut. We had a serious cut off France in Saint-Denis. Whereas uh, it did, maybe the pressure of the occasion at home in the first leg got to a few of the players because... That Ireland side that turned up in Paris, you know, it was to a certain extent was unrecognisable from the team uh, four days prior. I mean, I was kind of proud of the performance from start to finish. You know, we we did kind of pass the ball around a bit. You know, we did look as if we were going to kind of cut through France at various stages during the game. I mean, I thought Damien Duff had an absolutely outstanding game as well, along with Robbie Keane, who always looked dangerous and alert. And to be honest, like the French crowd, as you said, Joe, you know, they're a pretty volatile crew at the best of times had really kind of gone to town with France just before half-time. And maybe on another night, we could have maybe secured that second goal just before 90 minutes. Um, the extra time here, look, it's in infamy now, but sure, look, the handball, sure, we can't really do anything about it, but it was a disastrous, diabolical decision. Um, but still, the guys still kept going. And, you know, you know, it was just a devastating way to kind of end that campaign. But at least... 
the you know the pride in the side was there it was kind of and i think everyone outside of the two countries really had massive sympathy for us and i i see a quote here from alex ferguson you know going on about trapatoni he kind of said quote unquote he's prepared that team and it's absolutely magnificent performance by them you couldn't ask for a better from a coach and it's taken away from them and i mean that was sir alex ferguson mentioning it, and i think that kind of resonated throughout the footballing world yeah we actually in the stadium we didn't know what had happened uh, like all we saw on the opposite side of the pitch was the ball coming across and and Gallat scoring a header, um, and we were just kind of going, oh, it's, uh, "What do you do?" Obviously, on these crossed it. But one thing I'll, I'll, I'll never forget is that about fifteen twenty seconds later, everyone's phone went off at the same time. Messages from home, Henri's after handling the ball. There's no way that should have been allowed, and you know. And suddenly we're all really like, what's something's after something something really did happen. Shea Gibbon running to the linesman, you know, uh hold, you know, waving his hands, you know, and it like they didn't show the goal on the big screen in the stadium because obviously this would have been part of it. Um even after the game, uh on the the, the, the after getting the train back into to Paris itself, I didn't see the goal until I was having a drink in a bar next to the hostel. Uh, where I was, where I was staying, uh, two of the regulars bought myself and a friend of mine a drink. I heard stories of uh, lads being given bottles of wine, of taxi drivers refusing fares from from Ireland fans. Um, it's a very, very strange reaction to something like that. Um, and as you say, I think like the the sympathy of the the footballing world was with Ireland. And you could argue that you know France maybe got their their just rewards with a, a extremely. Uh, underwhelming performance uh, in the World Cup. You know they they just they just they were just it was just a poor side, and I think they'd they'd fallen a lot um, from the you know the heights only only ten years earlier. Didn't perform in the tournament at all. Maybe maybe justice was served in you know in a, in a different way. I'd like to thank Phil and Mark for joining me for this look back at the first qualifying campaign of Giovanni Trapattoni. In our next episode, we'll review the qualifying campaign for Euro 2012 in Poland and Ukraine, as well as Ireland's performance in the tournament itself. We'll talk to you soon.